Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Well, bless God. How many of you want to see freedom? Amen. Amen. Freedom and healing and new life by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Praise God. Um, Did anybody have anything that you wanted to share from worship? Um, So during the last song we were singing, um, I, you know, a lot of times close my eyes during worship just because no distractions. And uh, Holy Spirit said, open your eyes. Open the eyes of my heart. And um, I looked at the back of the room, and there was a cloud. And there was angels just flying everywhere. And then, um, and then Taylor was like, we sing with the angels. And I was just like, like, I became weak. Like, just the, the spirit just fell. And then when we were praying over Cherry, they came and surrounded us as we were praying. Amen. Amen. Today's a day of breakthrough. Amen. I kept hearing in your presence there is fullness of joy, no matter the situation. And it was impressed upon my heart just that we should always be in his presence. Even in the good time and the bad time, we can always still be in his presence, no matter where we are or what we're doing. And we can choose to listen to the voice of sin, or we can choose to listen to the voice of God and humble ourselves and do His will and be in His presence and see the miracles of God happening in our lives because we choose Him. To keep our eyes on Him at all times because of our love and faith in Him, knowing He can do no wrong, believing He can do no wrong, that He is faithful regardless of our reality because His truth trumps everything. The way a young man and woman love each other, they're so in love, they'll do anything for each other. So should we be that for him because he's that way for us? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the kindness that you've shown to us. We thank you for your presence this morning with the ministering angels round about us. We thank you, Lord, that this is a day of breakthrough for us to come and take hold of the promises that you've given, the provision that you bring. And I thank you, Lord, that you are the one who brings restoration. And we invite you to come and have your way this morning. May you speak to us by your spirit and give us revelation of your truth and your might. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Okay, so uh, today we're beginning the book of Devarim, of Deuteronomy. The first portion, of course, anytime you enter into a new book, has the same name as the book of the Bible. So today's portion is Devarim. And it's always read on the Saturday that precedes Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. Okay? So this coming Thursday is the ninth of Av. It's the anniversary of the spies' report regarding the land, where 10 of the spies brought back a bad report of the land and discouraged the people from going in and taking hold of their inheritance. Whereas two, Joshua and Caleb, believed the word of the Lord, that he called the land good, and they affirmed that it was good, and so that they could do it. Even though there were fortified cities and giants in the way, they knew who their God was and that they could trust him, that he was faithful to fulfill his promises. And so they tried to encourage the people But that night the people wept and they cried out and said, it's because God hates us that he brought us out here into the land. So they wept without cause for they should have been able to trust in the character and nature and the ability of God to bring them into the land. And as as Omid spoke last week regarding the upcoming month, he he mentioned a few things about Tisha B'Av and a few things about the Uh, Both the first and the second temple were destroyed at this time. Um, There have been many atrocities carried out against the Jewish people throughout the ages, 
either on or in the days surrounding Tisha B'Av, such as the First Crusade in 1096 uh, began at this time. Jews were expelled from England in 1290, France in 1306, and Spain in 1492, all at this time. And there's a whole list of other atrocities that have gone on at this time. It became a day of mourning for the generations because of the slander of the land that occurred by those 10 spies, 10 leaders. And so then it's become a, a, a day of suffering, but we also have the, the hope that it's going to be turned into joy because it's in Zechariah where the scripture says that God is going to turn the, day, the fast days into days of joy and celebration. So there's a time of reversal. There's a time that God has on his timeline for flipping the script, for bringing about his plans and purposes and intentions for this day. And this Saturday is, so the Saturday before Tisha B'Av is known as the Sabbath of prophecy, Shabbat Chazon. And it, it gets that name from the first word of the Haftarah reading from Isaiah 1.1. And it's about the vision given to Isaiah. So that word chazon is the vision. And you'll, you'll encounter chazon a few times in scripture regarding visions, but one of the things in Proverbs speaks about where there is no prophetic vision, uh, the people suffer. And so we want to have prophetic vision from the Lord of where we're headed and what we're to do, such that we can follow after him in what we do. Now, um, I have a note here written about something that the Hasidic masters say. Okay, so you might ask, well, what are the Hasidic masters? Well, about 300 years ago, there began a movement in the Jewish community known as uh, Hasidism, and it's, um, it, is, it was a spiritual revival, one in which there was very much an encouragement for Jews to begin to be faithful one step at a time and to press into the things of God, not to allow all the expectation to keep them, or you know, the recognition of all that you're not doing keep you from stepping into the things that God is leading you into, right? To say, look, each day I take one step closer to approach my king. And it's, uh, it's, they have, uh, they've done a great job in evangelizing and spreading um, the, the view of faithfulness to God through keeping the Torah. And so these, the early leaders of that movement said that, um, they said that on this Shabbat, they were granted a vision of the third temple. And what they said on it was that they may not see it with their physical eyes yet, but their souls see it. And with the knowledge that it is to come, they are empowered to break free from their present state of exile and bring about the redemption through the rebuilding of the temple. Now, when they were taking, talking about their present state of exile, sure, there's a physical aspect of exile as long as the temple isn't standing and the people of Israel have not been fully gathered back into their land. But they were speaking also of a spiritual displacement that was taking place. And so they were saying, we need a, we need a spiritual revival to come forth. This spiritual revival that will light the fire in the hearts of people to seek after the, God, after the one true God to serve him, and in so doing, bring about the redemption and participation with our God. And that's one of the things that we talk about quite a bit here. We talk about the restoration. We talk about the messianic era that's to come. And you might ask, well, why do we talk about it so much? And it's because it's the hope of the return of our King. It's the hope of the restoration of all things. And the thing is, like we talked about last week, we may not have the fullness of it yet, but that doesn't mean we can't press into it now and say, you know what? 
we're going to light the fire of revival in our spirits and we're going to prepare our sanctuary and we're going to go forward one day at a time, one step at a time as the Lord leads to bring about this restoration through the power of the spirit for the glory of Messiah. And so I think today's the day of breakthrough. Today is a day of turning. Okay. When we enter into Deuteronomy, we're about to go into Tisha B'Av, but then we're about to enter into the seven weeks of consolation leading into the high holy days. Okay, things are about to change, right? The, this is the three weeks right now called uh, the, between the straits, a time of mourning between the time of the 17th of Tammuz when the gates of Jerusalem were, were broken down or the walls were broken down, but it was three weeks later that the temple fell. Okay, so... This is that time of mourning, but there's a time that's turned to joy. And when we come into the book of Deuteronomy, we have something similar that's taking place. All right. When we open up the book of Deuteronomy, we are on the first day of the 11th month of the 40th year in the wilderness. And Moses begins to speak to the people because he knows that his days are coming to an end. He knows that after 40 years, the children of Israel are going to go in and they're going to take hold of the possession that God has given them. And he knows that he's been told that he can't go in. Now, he's still going to pray about it, but he knows he's, he's been told that he, he can't go in. And so he says, what am I going to do with all these, my children? And so he begins to retell them the path that they've been on to prepare them for the road that lies ahead. And when he does this, he's seeking to encourage them to build up their faith and to set them on a path that will lead to success, calling them to move out of former mindsets, to move out of doubts they've had, struggles they've had, to overcome them and now go forward in the power of the Spirit to go into the land, being led by the Spirit, led by God into this promised land. And so when we look at this first portion, we're, we're going into his first speech, and he's going to speak to the children of Israel over a five-week period before he passes away. And then the children of Israel move into final preparations to go in and cross the Jordan. So if we look in Deuteronomy 1, 8 through 11, the scripture says, See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. At that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. Okay, so within this passage, he's bringing, up, bringing to mind two things for the children of Israel. He's saying, God has given you this possession, this land to go in and take. And he has multiplied you as the stars of heaven. Well, both of those promises hearken back to the covenant between the parts with Abraham in Genesis 15. That's when God took Abram out and said, look at, the, look at the stars, so shall your offspring be. And then after the covenant between the parts, he says that I have given this land to your descendants. So now Moses is saying, Remember the promise that God made to Abraham 430 years ago. Or maybe it's 425. I think it's 430. Anyway, there's a few different things that happened in that time frame. He set up from Haran in 75, when he was 75. But anyway, around 430 years prior. But now here you are. You are multiplied as the stars of the heavens. And when the promise was made, Abram had no offspring according to the promise. 
actually had no offspring at all at that point. Okay. And yet God opened the womb and brought forth a miracle, even in the old age. And then he carried you all the way through Egypt, all the way through this wilderness that you've wandered through for 40 years. And he's brought you here to the place of moving in to take the possession of the land as he had promised. So he's saying, he's saying to them, God is able to do beyond what you think is possible here in the physical when you're looking at it. And this, and when I was thinking on that this morning, I was like, it's an anchor of their soul. The promise to Abraham was an anchor of their soul, a hope that they could hold on to as they were going through all those long years and as they were in the wilderness, that God would fulfill his word. It was a hope for a coming redemption. I know we've read about that in the past couple of weeks, right? The, the hope, the anchor of our soul, Yeshua who goes before us, right? And so Moses encouraging them that they can do this because God is on their side. But as they do it, they need to remember the promises. They re need to remember where they've come from and why they're on this path in the first place. And then as he does this, he then goes on to tell them more about the appointment of the new leaders in verses 12 through 18. And then he moves on to another story here in Deuteronomy 1 verse 19. He says, then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And, and I said to you, you have come to the, to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. And now at this moment, you have to say, wait, what? Moses, you're, you said that you're going to encourage us to get us ready for this. And right after you tell us how we're so great and numerous, then you bring up the sin of the spies. And how is this going to be an encouragement to us when we've been wandering for 40 years, really 38 since the time of that, but 40 years total in the wilderness? How is this supposed to be an encouragement? And part of the reason why it becomes an encouragement is because of how Moses tells the story. He tells the story one, yes, to say that there was a failure to understand what was going on, but to see beyond the failure and to see what God was doing in the midst of it and even what he's done since then in order to bring restoration to that which went wrong, right? Because the thing that went wrong didn't disqualify the people because God still had them and he's still faithful to his promises. Now, those to whom he said would not enter, they did not enter but their offspring did. Those who didn't know good or evil at that time were the ones that he then prepared to go and take the possession. And that's actually what he says is back when he was telling the people that, they would, that many would fall and would not enter. He said, your children who don't know good or evil are going to be the ones who enter in to take possession of the land. That was a rebuke because he was saying, you have determined that you know good and evil. And you have declared evil what I have called good. And because of that, you will not taste of the goodness. He says, but your children who don't know good and evil, who are going to listen to what I say, they're going to take hold of it. And when you think about that in a spiritual context here, you think about us as we walk in the death of our sin and transgression, but are made alive through Messiah, Yeshua, right? We've been taken out of those. We've been moved from the a people who tried to determine good and bad for ourselves and were terribly wrong into a people who've been made new by the Spirit 
who now through discernment of the spirit can declare with God what is good and what is evil. Not according to our own judgment, but according to his judgment, right? And those are the ones who have that change made in them who are the ones who are going to go in and take hold of the promises. So now the way he tells the story to highlight God's faithfulness is that in Deuteronomy 1 verse 29 through 33, he said, then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord, your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord, your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. Look at that. He's speaking of God's power and might through Egypt, through the wilderness and how God carries you as a father carries his son and who showed himself gave you guidance at each step along the way. He's like, God is faithful. He's carried you through. He will continue to carry you forward. And then he continues on through this portion with other stories demonstrating how God is faithful to keep his word. He speaks about how God gave Esau and Lot, or the descendants of Lot, land that was in, that, to be their inheritance that God had given them. Right Now Esau and Lot... Right? Those are descendants of Abraham, but not the descendants of the promise, which Isaac was, which now these children of Israel are offspring of. And God says, if I gave to Esau and to Lot the land that I promised them, how much more will I give the land that I have promised to the children of Israel through the oath that I swore to Abraham? Right? And he says, don't forget that when Esau... And Lot's descendants went up to take their promised land. They took down giants. How? Because God went before them to fulfill the promise for them. How much more for you? And then he goes on to talk about the, the victories that they just had over Sihon and Og. Okay? Because they were giants. He says... You've already done it, and I've already given the land into your hands. Now it's for you to go up and take possession. The question is, are you going to realize the power that you walk in? And he's saying, you need to. Okay, and so one of the ways that you begin to do that is by building up faith, remembering the faithfulness of God, remembering the promises, remembering where you've come from. Not just believing that something, like that a word was said, but there is actually power to fulfill the word, okay? There's knowledge of something that can be superficial. It's like, okay, you can know a fact, but to know God's power and his faithfulness, that's something dynamic and active, it goes beyond. So having faith in God goes beyond just believing in God. It's believing that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he has said. And so Moses is encouraging them in this. And I mentioned earlier our Haftarah portion, or the Haftarah for this week's portion is from Isaiah. And in Isaiah, there is a rebuke coming to the people. But there's also the redemption. So let's, let's read a few verses here in Isaiah 1, 18. Come now, let us... So he's already he's rebuked them. There's still some rebuke that's going to be mixed in. But he's rebuked them and he says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a whore, she who is full of justice. 
Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Then he said, but then skipping forward a few verses, he says, I will turn my hand against you and will melt and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And there's actually a little bit more that I wanted to hit on here that I must have mistyped. Um, so give me just a moment. Actually, I, I tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. But within this passage, there's a promise of a restoration that he's giving. And that's what I think is, is key here, is that even in the midst of that time when he's saying, you've been filled with dross, I'm going to remove your dross and I'm going to bring you restoration. The redemption is coming. And so when I put this together, like the, the idea of this encouragement, the hope that the children of Israel had as an anchor of the soul, of course it brought me to the thought of Yeshua as the anchor of our soul. And so we're going to read from Hebrews 6. I know we've, we've been in Hebrews quite a bit, uh, at least for a week or two, and, or maybe many more. But I'm going to start in Hebrews 6.11. And the scripture says, we desire each, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Now when I read that verse, and I, I read the verse before it, I say, well, the showing the same earnestness doesn't have anything to do with the verse before. So then how do we track back to what earnestness the writer is talking about? And what happened is the writer is talking about Yeshua, who is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, and what he has done, the earnestness that he has shown. And then he takes a break to say a few other things, and he's coming back to complete his thought. And it was in Hebrews 5, 7 through 8, where he, he speaks of Yeshua, who humbled himself and that he endured sufferings for a great purpose, right? And that it was that endurance that he's speaking of. He's saying, we want each of one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of the hope until the end, to make yourself a sacrifice, to endure, to press into God. And so then we continue uh, reading here in, in Hebrews 6, 11 on through 20. Until the, uh, for full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently awaited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this, the hope set before us, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Yeshua has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And this aspect about Yeshua going before us as a forerunner into the holy place, as a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, has great implications for us. Great implications that I think maybe we, we don't fully grasp. I probably don't fully grasp it either, but we're going to press into it, right? And we spoke a little bit last week about Yeshua entering into the veil as this forerunner and how if he's the forerunner, he's calling people to follow after him, right? Now, he's entered into everlasting life, the power of an indestructible life. Death has no claim on him, 
right? He is the first fruit of the resurrection. Now, we can't walk into the first fruit of the resurrection right now, okay? That's for a day to come. However, there is a spiritual resurrection within us whereby where we were dead in our transgressions, we have now been made alive together with Messiah by the power of the Spirit. So he has gone forward both physically and spiritually as the forerunner in this priesthood, and he's calling us to come as spiritual priests to do the work of the kingdom by, his, by the power of the Spirit that he sent into us. So what we have here is we have these two realities, if you will. You have a spiritual reality and a physical reality. We have the age to come and we have the age that is. Now, in a linear thought, you would think we've well, got the age to come or we have the age that is and that comes to an end point. And then there's a beginning point at which the age to come begins and goes forward. But the way that God has done this through Yeshua is he has caused the future to overlap the present to where we have right now in this day an ability to come into the spiritual reality of Yeshua's kingship even though we still are limited in the flesh by this world. And that's what we spoke of last week when we read in Hebrews 9 regarding uh, this, the first and the second as, as the writer of Hebrews was using this imagery to speak of two separate things that are related and uh, one comes first, the other comes second. That's really nice how the first and the second works. But what, what he says here in Hebrews 9, let's, let's take a look at it. It's really kind of going to be saying kind of saying what I've just summarized. But he says, even the first covenant, okay, even the first had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness, being the tabernacle. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. But behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. And then he goes on to describe it a little bit, but picking back up in verse 6, he says, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second, only the high priest goes, but he only goes once a year and not without taking of blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. And then he goes and gives explanation of what the spirit is saying with this image. He says, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened or has not been revealed, uh, has not been manifest as long as the first section is still standing. The first section, which is symbolic for this present age. And he says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Now, when he's saying this, he's saying that the first section that he's speaking of, where the priests are entering daily, that represents this world whereby the service that the priests do in this world are for the flesh only and for this world only. And then there's the second, which the high priest only goes into once a year. And then he says, that second place is where Yeshua has gone as the forerunner. So he says, but when Messiah appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. So he's saying Messiah has come and, and gone through a greater and more perfect tent. The greater and more perfect tent is the heavenly. So he's saying in the heavenly, he has come and he has entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And so he's speaking of, he's speaking of Yeshua officiating in the heavenly tabernacle, having gone 
into the second place as this forerunner, thereby bringing the world to come, the riches of the world to come into the present, causing the overlap to happen. Now, what he, within the gist of all of this, he's saying that he has been the first fruit of the resurrection. The first fruit of the resurrection is not open up until this first section, this age, is going away. Then we're going to see the physical resurrection that comes and takes place. We see that fullness of redemption. But right now, he has entered into this spiritual dynamic in the presence of the Father where he actually takes us with him. And that's what he says in, in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. He says, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Messiah. By grace you have been saved. That's the grace of Yeshua. Right? His grace poured out on you and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Messiah Yeshua. So Paul here is saying we've been seated with him in heavenly places even in the now. We have the spiritual reality we have that identity. We have that place. Now are we going to move from that place? Not like move out of that place, but are we now going to operate from that position? And so there's a call to move into that. And as we read from uh, back there in, in Hebrews 6, we have this anchor of the soul, which is our hope through Yeshua, which is based on a better covenant, better promises, and better blood. And I think this ties to the, the idea of this Shabbat of prophecy, right? Where we, we were talking earlier about being empowered to break free from our present state of exile and bring about the redemption, right? So how do we break, break free from our present exile? Well, we who trust in Yeshua have already been set free from the spiritual exile and have been united with Messiah, Okay. One way we have to break free is to break the mindsets and the things that hold our mind captive, even though we've been set free in the spirit. We have to come out of agreement which, with that which is not of God and come into agreement with the truth of his word and the truth of his character. Not just the truth of his character, but the truth of his character that he says he has placed in you. It's he is redeeming you from the inside and the out. The hurts that you've had in your life, the lies that you've taken hold of that have become strongholds, he's ready to move and to break those even today, even in this moment as you sit here. If he is speaking to you and bringing things to mind right now, he's not doing it to condemn you. He's doing it to set you free. Because he says today, if you hear my voice, take hold of it and walk in the freedom that I'm giving you today so that you can walk in the fullnesses of my promise or the fullness of my promises or maybe it's even fullnesses. How many believe that his, his redemption is multifaceted and his promises are multifaceted, right? And so he is, he is giving us this freedom. And did you know that spiritual freedom precedes physical freedom. It's what comes first. It's what has to come first for us to actually walk in physical freedom. Because as long as we are bound in the spirit, we are not free in the flesh to carry out the things of God. Because our flesh is always at war with our spirit. So God said, you weren't able to keep the first covenant. The first covenant, the fault was not with the first covenant. The, first, the fault was with the people. Because the first covenant and God's Torah is perfect and good. When God redeemed us and set us free from sin and death, His word didn't change. That which He called good did not become less. He didn't say, well, I'm going to lower the bar so you can step over it. 
He said, no, the bar remains the same. The bar is my righteousness. You can't do it in your flesh. So I'm going to take away that which binds you and set you free to take hold of the fullness of my righteousness. And we began to talk a little bit about that just at the last second last week after Omid had, had talked. I was like, oh, I forgot to mention something. And I started to talk about it a little bit, but today we're going to go talk about it because apparently I forgot to mention it last week because I was supposed to forget it for, so I could remember it this week. So I should have just kept my mouth shut and just saved it for now. But now here we are. We're going to go into Romans. I know everybody wants to do a study on Romans. I would too. It'd be a lot of fun. We're not going to do a study on Romans in its entirety today. Bit by bit, step by step, okay? But we are going to look here in Romans 8. Romans 8. We're going to start in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit spit their, spit, uh, excuse me, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Messiah does not belong to him. But if Messiah is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Hallelujah. So within this, he is saying that the mind that is set on the things of the world, the things of our carnal flesh, produces flesh. But the things which are set on the mind of God, the Spirit of God, the will of God, produces the fruit in keeping with God's Word, right? That's by the Spirit. A little side note. The letter of the law and the spirit of the law. You know how you say the, the scripture says the letter brings death, but the spirit gives life. Okay. The letter can be thought of in, in a couple ways here. The aspect of by in the flesh and the power of your flesh doing the commands, you fail. Right? Just like we talked about before. It was the weakness of the flesh that cannot keep the Torah. But then, empowered by the spirit, we can do it. So now... By the Spirit, you know, the letter brings death, the Spirit gives life. The Spirit leads us into not just doing the letter, which might be a specific commandment, but doing that and the Spirit of the command. The Spirit of the command is far, far broader than the letter of the command. The letter of the command may give you an, a, a, uh, an example, but it is trying to show us a greater, broader principle, which is the spirit of that command. And so when we walk by the spirit, guided by the spirit, we keep the command and the intention of the command, the purpose, the greater purpose that goes beyond the letter. And that gives life. Okay. All right. So when I was reading this and thinking about He's really calling for a transformation of our mind through the power of the Spirit, right? That our mind would be set on the things of God. And it made me think of 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and take and, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey, to obey Messiah. This is the renewal of the mind. This is the renewal of the mind where we realize that this isn't just a fleshly thing. Yes, there is flesh that I can need to overcome of my own 
desire, but there can be strongholds as well in principalities and powers that need to be brought down. And did you know that, that those powers and principalities are not more powerful than our God or the Spirit that dwells within us? They are not. Today, there are far too many Christians who fear the devil more than they revere God or trust in his power and might. And I can thank my wife for continually bringing that one up to me. Because it's true. How much do we cower or believe that we can be held captive by our past sins or by our past hurts or by lies that we believed? Or how much do we really believe in God's ability to come and break those down, calling us to recognize them, revealing them to us by the Spirit? And as He reveals them to us, we come into agreement and say, yes, I, I cast that down in the name of Yeshua. The curses that have been spoken over you, I cast them down in the name of Yeshua. They will not stand because God's promises are greater than the curses. The life that He is bringing is greater than the death you've walked through. It cannot hold you. It cannot hold you. And so then when we continue on here in Romans 8, he says, starting in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Messiah, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Is that not the same that we read in Hebrews 6.11? of having the same endurance that Yeshua did, okay? So then continuing here, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." So here it is in this passage, he's speaking about the two realities here, the spiritual reality and the physical reality. He's saying you have the spiritual adoption as sons now to walk in. So walk in it. And he says, and, and all creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. What are the sons of God to be revealed? That is us walking in the character and nature of our risen Messiah revealing his nature on the earth to bring this restoration such that the fullness of that restoration will become a reality, that which we groan and wait for patiently with eagerly hoping for the redemption of our physical bodies, that both the physical and spiritual will come into one unified, redeemed body. That's what we're pressing for. That's why we talk about the redemption in the age to come. It's because we know we have a foretaste. We know we have something now. We don't even tap into the fullness of it yet. But we know that there is so much more. Okay, we know how, well, you actually don't know how much awaits us, okay? But we know it's much more than we have right now. And Yeshua goes as the forerunner and says, Come, take that next step with me. Walk in greater degrees of freedom. Walk in the liberty that I've given you, in the grace that I've given you. And let's bring redemption to the world so that all the creation can be redeemed as it's been groaning and crying out for. And so Moses was encouraging the children of Israel so they could go forward and take hold of their promised land because God who promised is faithful. We have an anchor of the soul that is greater than the anchor of the soul that they had. 
because it is affirmed through the person of Yeshua, who is not dead, but lives now and forever, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. If he's interceding for us, who can stand against us? Nothing can stand against us because the power of the Spirit that raised him from the dead dwells within us. So we have this freedom to press into. And now here, where's your faith? Do you believe what God has promised? Do you believe the word from the beginning to the end that God has shown himself faithful? Because he has. He hadn't just shown himself faithful to the children of Israel. He didn't show, just show himself faithful to Yeshua when he raised him from the dead. He shows himself faithful to us in the new life that he gives and in how he carries us on eagle's wings through all of our trials and difficulties. Even when we can't see him, he is there. He's holding us. He's walking with us. He's never left us and he never will. He will take us to where he's promised. And he says he goes before us to prepare the way. His word is true and we can take it to the bank. So hold fast to the anchor of our soul and the glory that is to be revealed in us and through us that we might walk in the fullness of the redemption that God has given to us now through his precious son. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We give you glory and great praise. We thank you, Lord, that you're moving right now in our midst. Lord, I ask right now that you would be moving, bringing freedom, restoration, healing. I thank you, Lord, that you move even in the small things. You move in the great things. You move in the small things. But Lord, you're always working on our behalf. And I thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you've never given up on us. We thank you for the life that we have through Yeshua. By the power of your spirit, we ask you, Lord, to help us, strengthen us as we walk along the way. And may it all be for your glory and for your kingdom. May it come soon, quickly, speedily, in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.